Welcome and thank you for tuning into Mad Pain. I am Doreen, your podcast dominatrix, and you can find me behind you uh, wearing my beret and my leather harness, flogging you into a more productive future and tattooing. Yeah, it's going to hurt at first, but after a while, you're going to like that shit. Um, And that sounds extreme, right? Yes, because we are living in extreme times. There's a revolution going on right now, and there's no reason why tattooing should be excluded from that type of uh, critical examination. So yes, Mad Pain is a podcast that amplifies and celebrates the voices and experiences of marginalized tattooers and tattooers that are allies. And through these conversations, we're brainstorming through ways that we can eradicate some of the most toxic and problematic components of the tattoo industry. And, you know, I decided to create and lead this podcast because um, I was tired of all these fucking white-ass podcasts. Uh, they're very boring. They're very repetitive. I feel like I can actually predict how a lot of the conversations are going to go before they even happen. You know, I know at some point you're going to start shitting on stick and poke culture. I know at another point you're going to reference your apprenticeship and how that's the only true way that people can be real tattooers, quote-unquote. Um, I know that, like, at some point during the climax of the conversation, there's going to be a vein that pops up in the middle of your forehead and explodes uh, while you're talking about how much you hate tattoo schools. Yes, uh, we know. We get it. What else? Um, You know, there are so many other more important issues that we should be talking about in the industry. Um, That being racism, sexism, homophobia, transphobia, xenophobia, um, cultural appropriation, capitalism, gatekeeping, and all the gaslighting that holds all this shit together. And, you know, as a self-taught tattooer, I was often unsatisfied with the resources that were available. You know, I was online a lot, reading articles, watching YouTube videos, um, listening to podcast episodes. And, you know, it is absolutely unnecessary for these resources to be monochromatic. The tattoo industry has a history of openly welcoming, grooming, and celebrating white tattooers and in abundance white men. And I find that to be very fucking frustrating. And you know, if it comes down to it, if the only way that I can gain access to more dynamic conversations is if I start to create that content myself, bet, like, I can do that. It's not a problem. That's actually what I live for. What I'm really trying to do is create an archive of information that is most useful to people that look like me, the next generation of tattooers, the older generation of tattooers that need to change. Um, This is a resource that can be used by everyone, no matter what you look like, who you are, where you're from, or where you're at in your career. You know, we're having a lot of these difficult but absolutely necessary conversations in order to get to a better place in tattooing. And, you know, during these interviews, I encourage you to ask yourself and your colleagues a lot of these same questions. This type of change might be scary to a lot of people. Um, You might find yourself angry and frustrated. But, I mean, the fact of the matter is I'm outside. I'm at the gate that you have dedicated yourself to keeping. I have my bolt cutters, I have my ankle grinder, and I've taken the bitch off the hinges. So what are you going to do when that gate is gone? What are you going to do when we strap that gate to the back of a truck and drag that bitch down the street? 
now is the time to rush in. Now is the time for reform. And uh, what you can do now is turn around, bend the fuck over. <laughs> wow. And you better not make a sound while we deliver this change. My first guest is Andre Malcolm, who some of you may know as the Dragon Slayer. Andre first started tattooing up in the Bronx in his early 20s and has not put his machine down since. He's worked at tattoo shops all over New York City. And, you know, right now he's working in his own private studio in California, focusing on larger scale Japanese traditional tattoos and bodysuits. And, you know, he's also publishing books and runs his own ink company, which, you know, is crazy. <laughs> if you know anything about Andre, you know that he talks a lot of shit. <laughs> and that's like the best, like one of the best parts about him. When I first met Andre, you know, we were having discussions about tattooing and he had mentioned something, I think, where I was talking about like my apprehension of like, you know, causing my clients extreme pain. And he was like, <laughs> and he was like, there is no skin. <laughs> and I'm like, what does that mean? Like, what do you mean there is no skin? And he was like, you know, talking about how, like, it's going to hurt no matter what. So, you know, you might as well just do what you have to do, get the tattoo done. It's not going to hurt any less, like, like if you are overthinking it. So, like, you know, that's something that I always think about. Like, I, I definitely, like, still consider the skin, but... Yes, I agree. Like, no matter what, the tattoo is going to hurt. And as long as you're focusing on doing the best tattoo possible, I think, you know, it's absolutely amazing advice. So welcome to my conversation with Andre Malcolm. Andre, you can't be drawing. Sorry. Wow, we're it's recording because I can hear every single thing that you're doing. Like it's my ADD kicking the in. The pencil and the paper. You can hear that? Yeah, I can. No, I can you hear can't. Everything. What? We're here. Oh. The first episode of Mad Pain with Andre Malcolm. Hi, everybody. Uh, the goat. Uh, no, chill, also chill. Also, the, the Tom Ford of tattooing. Chill, Suiting them all up. Suiting them all up. Um, thank you so much for being my first guest. Hey, welcome. You're welcome. Um, a big priority for the show is not only to be highlighting great tattoo artists, but to give a larger span of tattoo artists that are out in the industry and not just those that are highly celebrated already. Um, and I feel like you are one of those people that deserves more of a spotlight. And it's really important for me um, not only to highlight you, but like give you props to also all the other people that you've been mentoring thus far. Um, and so, you know, to start it off, not that I could not tell by your accent, but can we just talk about where you're from, uh, what you represent, kind of like your foundation, how you started? All right, where I started out at. Um, so I was born um, in Spanish Town, Jamaica. I'm my only child. 
my mom, I was raised mainly by my mom's side of the family. My grandmother uh, and my grandfather were farmers um, up in the up in the hills in Jamaica. So it's kind of like where Bob Marley, like it's in that area, um, Saint Anne Parish. One of the one of the things I could remember from that far back is just being introduced to art, which was through my uncle. Um, he just showed me how to draw a stick man. I was like four years old, and uh, when I saw him do that, that was it. I've said this before, but it was kind of like um, like a burning sensation in my brain, like an awakening. Mm -hmm. And then um, I was raised there until I was five. Um, my mom had already left to, to come to the States um, with her first husband at the time. And she sent for me, like mo most immigrant parents do. Like mm -hmm. they come to the States first and then they bring the kids here. And, and um, when I came here, uh, after leaving my aunts for my grandmother, when I was like five, and we lived in the Fordham Road section of the Bronx. And this is like 85, 86, and this was crazy at the time. It's the first time I heard gunshots. Like shit was licking off like every other night. And this is the first time I really saw like heavy bars on windows. It was like a different kind of, like Jamaica has bars on the windows and it was just different. It was different. Like I was, I guess at the time I was, I was experiencing culture shock. I just never, I didn't know what that term till later on in the years. Yeah, I was a quiet kid, I guess, but I was always drawing, especially at that time. I was kind of like doing little doodles, but I think every time I would draw, like time would pass. And then we moved to another part of the Bronx, which is too, like on White Plains Road area. I was I was getting in fights all the time, like all the time. I like just just getting picked on all the time by by like the kids in class. But but it was just like always I it was crazy. I was I'd just be in fights for no fucking reason. I'd say something like, Are you Jamaican? Bong, and I'd be fighting, bong, 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 like rolling on the floor, like wrestling and shit and I just choke him. I get choked out, I choked them out. It was it was crazy. And then one day I started joining class and everybody was my friend. Mm. And I was like, oh shit, I'm gonna keep doing this. And I was just known as the kid that could draw. And I didn't know where it came from. I just kept doing it. And it, it became a, a really creative process for me. So living in the Bronx was ill at the time. Um, and uh, it, um, so art, but then art was, wasn't in my house, so I didn't have paintings like that, but it was like in the in the religion it was like in the religious text. Like Jehovah's Witnesses have like the craziest art outside of either like the Roman Catholic Church or any other, let's say, um religious establishment. Because they understood um you need visualization with it. Mm -hmm. So so like if you knew like the Revelation book or or um, my book of Bible stories, they had all these, all these illustrations of Jesus, you know, um, and and like his apostles and all these different biblical stories and flames and 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 shit like that, Babylon and and Lot turning the salt, you know what I mean, all this shit, you know. And I would look at this like, yo, this is crazy, and I'm like, oh, I'm a, I, and I I never redrew any of that stuff because I didn't believe in it. Even when I was like six years old, I was like, this is, this is crazy. Like my aunt even told me when I was a little kid, she I would kick and scream going into the church. I just never really, I never believed in religion. It wasn't something that seemed um, real. 
you know? Um, and I, later on in the years, I understood why I was like that. Um, but I, all the stuff that was in the those religious books, I would look at like, oh, like how they use lighting. So I would, and I don't know why I did that, but I would use that in the stuff that I was drawing. So like if I was doing like, I was always trying to, I was always, for a long time, I was just copying. Um, mom buy, my, my mom didn't buy me that many toys. Mm -hmm. Those toys were like worldly toys. That's what Joseph used to say. So you couldn't really get that many toys. So it was kind of like, I made my own toys. Mm -hmm. um, or it was always uh, color pencils and stuff. What was that question? Again? Is that, is that <laughs> no, no, it's great. No, and it's actually like answering a lot of the other questions that I had. Um, so like you ended up using drawing as like a means to like entertain yourself and escapism, yeah. Um, but it also, it makes a lot of sense in terms of like, ways that a lot of your compositions have formed, like thinking about like a lot of the bodysuits that you do, just like the way that you're using like light and right. it's like very theatrical, very dramatic right. um, and also large scale. And like just thinking about like, you know, what images like that look like as a kid. It's like, oh my, this is huge. Right, right, um, right. But yeah, it really makes sense to like how you compose a lot of your tattoo work today. Yeah, that comes from that, the whole being the Jehovah's Witness, looking at that stuff, then looking at comic books, mm -hmm. um, how they arrange things on the page, mm -hmm. you know, like those tasteful elements. I, I, I try to, I try to, in my work that I do now, what, what's, what's tasteful, you mm -hmm. know, like, what does the eye like to look at? How to make the tattoo look fun, fun to do. Yeah. You know, yeah. um, how does it, how's this tattoo going to give you anxiety? I work off of that. I work off of anxiety a little bit, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I feel like I don't know any tattoo artists that don't thrive off of anxiety. Oh, it's fucking great, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. I mean, yeah, and it's also, like, scary as hell. Fuck that. That's the best part. <laughs> okay, so then, like, at what point did you decide to pursue a serious career in art? Um, First grade. First grade was it. I hated my first grade teacher, but I remember that day when, oh, what do you want to be when you grow up? Oh, I want to be an artist. Yeah, everybody was saying, but I was like, I want to be an artist. I didn't know what kind of art I wanted to do. It was, it was trying to figure out everything around me. Even the graffiti that I was seeing in the Bronx at the time, that's still a part of my life, graffiti, mm -hmm. in a way. I'm not doing it anymore, but um, it was my entryway into tattooing. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then, yeah, I feel like we've talked about that in the past, how, like, you know, graffiti and just, like, mark making and, like, figure out, figuring out your own artistic voice kind of led you into tattooing. Um, can you describe your first experiences in tattooing, that being, like, giving, ta giving a tattoo and then receiving your first tattoo? Um, uh, there's three experiences. Um that led me to it. One was, so it, it goes back to Jamaica. Um, I saw this, I saw this Japanese dude. I didn't know he, I, and where I'm at too, the first time I saw a white person, it was just like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> oh shit, there's a white man walking through. And I didn't even know that's what you call them. I was just like, oh, you know what I thought they were? I thought they were ghosts. And in Jamaica, wow. they call them duppy. Okay. So I thought it was a duppy in clothes walking Cause we up in the hills, you know. I'm like, right. I was like, so at first I looked at them and 
I remember it too. And I was like, what the fuck? And I'm looking at my skin and I'm looking at them. And a duppy is considered white, but they weren't white. They just looked pale as fuck. So I thought they were like black people that didn't have no pigment, mm -hmm. you know? And I, I, I ran in the house to my grandmother and my grandfather and, I'm, and, I, and my grandfather's like, oh, they're, they're from foreign. They're not from foreign, that's what he said. And my grandmother's like, it's okay, it's okay. Like, you know what I mean? And they just looked at me and smiled as they were walking up the, up, up the street. They were, they were going somewhere, I didn't know where they were going. Um, but um, we were going to this beach and there was this Japanese dude on the beach. And, and but he was covered. I didn't know what the fuck. I didn't Covering know. Who, tattoos. I, I didn't. I didn't know what to make for, make of it. And then, and then my grandmother, my, my aunt slapped me in the back of my head, bang, and, and I was like, because you couldn't stare, not to stare. You know, it's rude to stare. <laughs> mad hard, mad hard. You know, <laughs> my aunt Bev was dope. Um, and then fast forward now, I was in high school, and I was, and again, I was, I was known as the kid that can draw. So I had this hustle that I would draw cartoon faces. And you know how you have the, the high school ID card? Yeah. I would draw someone's, I would draw you in a cartoon way. Um, and now, and then I had like this clear tape and I'd cut it out and cut out the, the picture and put the clear tape on top of the business, of the high school card. Mm -hmm. And this one kid saw me do it and I would, oh, I would charge like $5 for it. Mm -hmm. No, no, I would charge a dollar. He'll give me a dollar and I'll draw you. Okay. I'll draw it. I had my little markers, blah, 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 markers, pencils, whatever, and I'm just drawing, I'll draw you and make, you know. And then uh, he's like, yo, can you draw me a tattoo? I was like, yeah. I was like, just give me a picture. And he was like, all right. And so he drew, it was like him against the wall and he went to Tough City Tattoos. Okay. He got tattooed there. and. There was two shops at the time. It was uh, Champion and Tough City. And Tough City was known as the expensive shop. So this kid went to the expensive tattoo shop. Cause, mm -hmm. And then, and then uh, fast forward now, after like I dropped out of high school, I was like, what the fuck I'm gonna do? You know what I mean? I can't, I got arrested for graffiti doing once. Um, and I was hanging out at my boy's house and we were just doing odds and end jobs around. And one day I went, with him up the up Fordham Road in the Bronx, and um, I saw Sess, who's one of my favorite graffiti writers, Sess and Yes Two and Med um, TVT, and and Sess was rolling with Sess and Yes Two were in the in the um, graffiti crew FX, and I gave them my black book. Something something told me that day, you'll bring your black book, and I gave them my black book, and I saw a tough city tattoos, and I was like, I want to work, I want to work there, and then like. I just started, I stopped hanging out with my, my boy, um, Angel, and I was just at a tattoo shop. And that was it, that was like the third experience was like that. But I didn't know I was gonna be a tattooer at the time until one of the guys, Seth, was like, yo, start tattooing, you make like $500 a day. And I was like, $500 a day? That's a lot of money. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I paid half my mom's rent, like buying, right. you know? And I was right. like, oh shit, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, nah, I'm not gonna do it, nah, I'm good. And that was it. Um, like when you got your first tattoo? No, yeah, I, I got my first tattoo, but I, I didn't make up my mind that I want to be a tattooer yet. Mm, okay. And when I got the tattoo, I was like, this shit fucking hurt. And what, like, what, this, what was it? It was a graffiti piece on the back on my back, Dre. That shit felt like slavery. Oh, oh my I was God. like, this shit hurt. <laughs> this is what oh slavery feel like. You know, like motherfuckers, <laughs> I was like, this gotta be like what, 
this feel like racism. What? <laughs> this pain feel like racism. Like if you could put racism in a in one in a, feeling. In one feeling is like it's getting tattooed on your back. Getting tattooed on your back. I, uh, but I was young, I was dumb. Right. And um and then I stopped. I stopped hanging out there. My mom got me a job at the New York Stock Exchange. And I said, fuck this. I, I mean, I quit like a year later. I, I, two years later, I quit and I became a tattooer. That was it. I, look, I didn't look back. I decided to be a tattooer. Right. And then can you walk me through the first tattoo that you gave? And, uh, the first tattoo I ever did was in 1998 on my boy, Mike. Mike wanted a tattoo. I think he already had one tattoo, but he got like love on his right arm. And um, he's like, yeah, Drew, let you tattoo me. He's like, you could draw, tattoo me. I was like, Pfft. but my drawing wasn't like tattoo drawing. It was more like, um, it was more like Greg Capullo, Todd McFarlane inspired drawing, like very hyper detailed, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and it wasn't like the stripped down style of tattooing. Right. Right. Um, and uh, shit, I, yo, I, I, you know what? I chase that feeling to this day. Each tattoo is, is chasing the feeling of doing the first the tattoo. The first one. Oh my god! I had like, I had, I, he got love and kanji on his arm, and I, and I, and I remember lining it, and I remember like, and I made the first line. Oh, I, I, first of all, I remember putting the machine together. Uh huh. Now fuck that. I remember just putting the Vaseline on the table, then putting the ink caps, putting the machine, you know, putting the machine together. Like, I still remember looking at the machine, like, yo, all right, where, how do you put the knee, all right, put the needle into the, I remember, I remember them putting the needle into, into the tube, but then it's like, what do I, how do I put the, how do I attach the needle to the armature bar? I didn't even know the name of armature bar. Right. Like, all of that shit came later on. And one of the dudes, one of the guys that worked there, he put the machine together for me. And then he walked away, just like left. I was like, oh shit, I'm doing so well myself. And Puma's <laughs> there, Eric is there, Mike is there. And I remember like making the, I put the stencil on, I put the stencil, oh, I put the oh, stencils on. And then, and then um, I remember making the first line. I remember, I remember dipping the machine in, right? And I had, and, and then like I made, I remember making the first line and the shit wiped the fuck. It was like a faint. And I was like, oh, shit. And then, <laughs> and then I remember the tunnel vision. I'm, all right, no, all right, I jumped a little. I remember just the tunnel vision and that cold feeling. And then like every muscle in my body tightening. And I remember making that line and, white, and I was like, oh, shit. And then like the bead of sweat. And I was already bald at the time. So I remember the sweat like coming down <laughs> and I could feel that shit moving over each pore of my body. Of wow. my forehead, like move coming from the top of my head all the way down. I remember that shit. And I was like, fuck, and I can't freak out now. I can't act like, yo, I gotta be cool about it. And then and then like something kicked in, man. And I just sketched it in like I was doing it on paper. Mm -hmm. So I just like I did like a faint line after I did the first line. And I saw how the faint line was there, and then I just filled it in. That was it. And it took like an hour. And I was shitting each brick. I was shitting. I was shitting big bricks, man. I could, you could have built a house with my shit. How <laughs> I was like losing it. Oh my god. I was like, this shit. And I've been, I've been chasing that feeling forever because it was just like it was, it was. And I don't know if I'm a, I'm a junkie for like. I don't know. I don't know if it's from when I was a little kid and I was going through culture shock 
of, you know, I don't know if it's that. I don't know if it's like that, that those, those feelings are in me, but mm -hmm. I'm I like, like every tattoo I do now is just like, uh, you know, but it's gone. Right. You know, it's just, yeah. Wow. Um, okay. So you were talking about, um, seeing a Japanese man on the beach and being kind of blown away by like seeing his tattoos. Mm -hmm. Is that, was that your introduction into like being really interested in Japanese traditional styles and no. image making? No, no, no. Um, not at all. Like, well, growing up at that, growing up, like, I, I, I mean, I love Japanese anime. Mm -hmm. I mean, the real dark shit, the dark stuff, the, 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 the ninja scroll, the, the you know fucked up stuff. I, I was more into that, and like I didn't get into the Japanese style tattooing until like my third year of tattooing. Okay. Um, and um, you know, luckily for Med Man, like I gotta give props to Med. Med held on to a lot of the early tattoo magazines. Like, so he was buying tattoo magazines like in the '80s. You know, probably like early '90s. Late in like '89, I think I started the, the 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 earliest issue I've ever seen. I think that he had was probably like '88, '89, mm -hmm. and he had that stuff. And then he had stuff all throughout the '90s. And so like those tattoo magazines were like my only reference. And like just just from art, I knew what looked good and what didn't look good. Mm -hmm. And then he had one. Um, he had one magazine because I was trying to find my style. I was trying to find a style that I liked. When I was when I was at Tough City, um, one of the guys that was helping me out a lot was Jose Jose Soto, and he works right around the corner now. And um, he just showed me how to like hold the machine, and we had a deal. Like I show him how to like do some drawing, like draw better. He could draw, but it he wanted to learn how to draw better. And he showed me how to tattoo. Okay. And that was our deal, and me and him got real close, and and he showed me just how to make. He showed me how to make a machine, even when I didn't even know what the fuck I was doing. You know what I mean? Like I learned. Now nah, I know how to make a tattoo machine from scratch, if I need to, if I need to do it. What tools I need to buy. Um, he showed me how to make needles. He showed me how to make pigments. Uh, he showed me the whole shebang, like, and he's the wizard. I think he's probably the wizard of that shit. You know, the wizard is just like the guy that no one knows, but he just makes magic. Yeah, but, it's the formula. Right, he knows everything. And when Med had all these magazines and Jose was telling me all this stuff, he was telling me about Guy Atchison and Grime and all these tattooers and Philip Lou. And then like, when he mentioned Philip Lou, I was like, ah, oh, cool, you know what I mean? Like, And then like, Med had these, a stack of tattoo magazines of whatever. And I was reading them. I was just, I just, I, I, I got into like some, I'm weird like that. Like it's probably because being around my mom and we used to watch all these detective shows and they would always talk about like researching, right? So I just like, fuck it, I'm just going to research. And it went, and, it, and I took that formula from comic books too. Like whenever a comic book artist would talk about their favorite artists, I'd go look them up, you mm -hmm. know? So like in tattooing, there wasn't like a library for tattoos, but there was magazines. Mm -hmm. And it was like process of elimination of like what I like, you know, like, um, and I remember there was an episode, there was issue of, I think it was tattoo, um, oh, fuck, it's a tattoo international. I can't remember which one it was, but Jonathan Shaw, um, no, no, it was Mickey, Mickey Violetta interviews the Lou family. 
and that was it. I got like the way they approached tattooing to me was like it was graphically appealing to me. It was like what I would see. Like Philip Lou did this mask. It was in a different magazine, and it was like a black mask, black and gray mask. It had multiple eyes, and the mouth had like these crazy teeth. And I was like, that looked like Greg Capullo drew that from Violator. And I was like, I want my tattoos to look like that. And that was it. And then I and then I found that issue of the lose that Mickey interviews them, and the way he's talking, like how. How Phillips, how Phillips dad talks, is kind of like, it's. I mean, to to northern like people up north, they call that hippie. But to me, that's like it reminds me of my family. You know, like a really close knit. How I viewed it when I was a little kid, a, a, a tight knit family of uh, of artists, artisans. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And and I like, I was like, yo, they, these people are awesome. You know, and like I was looking at their tattoos, and I was like, this dude tattoos. Just different. It just, it looked, it looked like what I like graphically, mm -hmm. like like super easy to read. And then I read what he said, and and then and then it was just like names like Ed Hardy, The Dutchman, Horiyoshi, um, Horiyoshi the Third, um, Karunama, all these names, and I had to do the research. And then I was like. And I already saw stuff from Ed Hardy, and I, I was like, I didn't really care for it. But later on, it turned into like, oh shit, he's the he's the he's America's goat at mm -hmm. the time. He's he's the guy that like most tattooers these days wouldn't be nothing without him. Mm -hmm. You know, um, um, I wouldn't. I, I I don't think I'd be interested in Japanese tattoos to this day if it wasn't for Ed. So interested in what came from Japan, mm -hmm. and then like how he met. Sailor Jerry, and then how he met um, the guy that taught him how to tattoo, and then all of these different things, and all these, all these different, um, what's the word I'm looking for, man? Like variables mm -hmm. that led up to like, you know, it came to me, and now I'm like, I'm, I'm into it. And then I, I didn't like how Japanese work was so 2D. It, it lacked a lot of the stuff that I, I knew, like I felt like I knew about, whether we're, we're coming from Western eyes. Yeah. But then um, it happened like I was just looking at Ed stuff, and I was looking at Horiyoshi, and I was and and I was looking at Hokusai and Kuniyoshi, and I was like, I was high as fuck, man. I was smoking, I was smoking, smoking, smoking. I'm looking at this shit. I'm looking at this. Shit. Okay, all right. And then again, that burning sensation went off in my head. I was like, this shit is the best shit ever. That was, that's literally it, man. Like the 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 bells were ringing, you know, the gears were turning. And I was like, I need to learn how to do this. And it was just my quest from, it was probably 2003, four. Mm -hmm. I, was, I started tattooing in 2001. So let's say 2004 is when I started doing Japanese style tattoos. This message goes out to all the guest artists that saved. I know one of y'all motherfuckers took my bottle of dynamic white. <laughs> Whoever was working at my station and thought you were cute by like sliding it into your to-go bag, <laughs> you will pay. I'll let it slide this time, but next time, it's your ass.
So I feel like before we've also talked about um, like your journey into doing a lot of research for like Japanese traditional styles of image making and tattooing, but that there it was hard for you because there wasn't anybody that looked like you doing it. Right. Can you just like tell me a little bit about that journey and you know how you kind of had to like lead yourself? Yeah, I mean, I didn't. The thing about the thing about that, like, I didn't, I didn't know any black tattoos in the Bronx.、Um, I was probably, I'm not saying I was the first one, but I felt like I was the first one.、Mm-hmm. Tough City is the only tattoo shop that was popping. Then there was Champion, but I don't think anybody in Champion was black.、Mm-hmm. I think it was a Puerto Rican dude. I don't, I don't know.、Um, no offense.、Um, and this is like, this is '98. Yeah. You know what I mean, like. The only black woman I knew tattooing was was in New Orleans. Yeah, you know what I mean.、Um, and then Maya, I think Maya, Maya in in in、um, Atlanta. Atlanta. Yeah. So like, look how scattered that is. Yeah. If you were looking the map of the United States, that's crazy. Yeah. Right.、Um, the 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 part with like me needing somebody to look like me to. Get into this business. I, that wasn't part of my my mindset. It was like, nigga, I need to make some money. <laughs> right. I'm 18. I'm. It's like. I, I think there was like, I just need to make money. You know what I mean? I don't. My my greatest fear was being homeless. Right. You know what I mean? Because like, once you're homeless, that's it. You get got. Like anything can happen. So my my mindset, like, even though there was nobody in New York, let's just say New York, that's black tattooing like that. I mean, there probably was. Just, oh, this dude in Brooklyn. Um. Everybody, I can't fucking remember their name right now, but yeah, that's it. So, but homeboy in Brooklyn, and it's like, you know I mean, if you if motherfuckers know, if you're from New York, like Brooklyn dudes didn't fuck with that many dudes from outside of Brooklyn, right? Right, and Bronx is the Bronx, Queens is Queens. You know what I'm saying? That the beef that that、uh, that that Karis won and what's the nigga had. That shit was real. It was, a, it was a, it was a real territorial thing. Like you Bronx, Bronx, and and even there was some parts of Bronx you couldn't go to. You know what I mean? Because you, because it's just like it was just it was chaotic. Like people were still getting laid out. Like it was '88. Right. And I think what it what it was for me was I already had artists I could look up to, and it was my aunt and it was my uncle.、Mm-hmm. But I just knew I could draw. Like I knew I could. And it might sound cocky, but it, I was like, I was comfortable doing. That's the one thing I felt comfortable doing. Right. That shit, like drawing to me is like breathing. And then the research thing was, it was just like, like one of the things with Tough City, like the money I would make, it was buying my my supplies and then buying tattoo books. And Unimax in, in New York had all the tattoo books. You know, it had, it had a ton of them. So I, all I did was just like. Whatever this look good, I buy it. You know, and I, and, and like, I just buy it. I hear about it. Oh, you know what I mean? Like, and there was literature coming out at the time, in the 2000s about certain artists. You know, and I, would, I would try and get those books. Either,、um, not really at conventions because I, I couldn't learn anything at conventions. I mean, I did. Like, I remember watching Bugs tattoo. And I saw how he did it, and I saw how he turned the machine up, and I was like, "Wow, wow, wow! I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna have my machine running at like 11 volts." But I did、uh, my whole thing was bookstores. You know what I mean?、Um, if I couldn't find it at a bookstore, I find it at a library. 
if I couldn't find it at this library, I go to this, I go to another library. But, you know, like I go to the Natural History Museum, you know, I, I, I go to places where I, I, I try to find as much as, as I could on what I wanted to tattoo, you know. Um, I'd read about like what artists would say, you know, like, oh, like, oh, um, you know, like it, it was just, it was too, if I got better at drawing, then my tattoos will look better because I could draw the tattoo better. And then what's gonna happen? I'm gonna make more money. And then after a while, it wasn't about the money anymore. It was just like just doing a good tattoo, you know, I, yeah. like making it look good. What? How do I? How do I separate myself? And my train of thought was like, how do I separate myself from the dudes that's around me here in the Bronx? It was never really like the world. It was just like I gotta separate myself from like the Bronx. Right. Like I wanted to, not that I didn't have any love for these tattoos, but but I want people. To see my what like if Shorty right here comes to get tattooed, I want her friends to be like, yo, I need to get that. Right. And then they'll come to me and I'll just be like, you know what, I'm gonna hook it up. I'm I'm gonna do it a little different. I would see like what they were doing on the West Coast and be like, all right, it's not being done here on the East Coast. Let me try and do that here. And so there was girls back in like the you know, early to mid two thousands. And they were just having like a little bit of something different. And I, that's what I wanted. I wanted just to do what they were doing on the West Coast. Mm -hmm. That's it. And then the research was like, buy this book, buy that book. My, I didn't buy no clothes. I was, I mean, I bought the bare minimum. It was like, it was like Levi's and white tees when when white tees was popping, or, 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 was or black t-shirts. You know what I'm saying? Like I, my my t-shirts was in long, long because I was like, man, I'm supposed to look like dresses. Right. Huh? But no offense to that, but um, I just I was just weird, man. I was just like my my um. I, it was more about the art, you know. I like the aspect of like a bum looking. I, I wanted to be bummy as possible. Mm -hmm. um, I was inside all the time too, because it was just like Giuliani had a war on black people. Yeah, that's that's another thing too. So this is how racism is. I'm gonna tell people this right now. If you if if you a tattooer and you hate me because I tattoo really good. Is because Giuliani was racist. He wanted to get rid of as many black people as possible. So you know what that did? It made me stay inside. So I stayed my ass inside and I drew every fucking day. Mm. I wasn't going to the bar. Hey, I was drawing all the time. I was right. I was trying to read as many books about Hokusai and Kuniyoshi and and, Ho and Horiyoshi and Ed Hardy and the Lose Guy Atchison. Like Guy Atchison's book, Reinventing the Tattoo. I read that shit back and forth. You know what I mean? I didn't have time to be outside because if I did, I, I mean, I remember one time I, I remember paying my cell phone bill, and I got, I got Popo jumping out on me out their car. I had the guns on me, and they were like, "What are you doing?" I'm like, "I'm gonna go pay my cell phone bill." And they were like, "What's that in your pocket?" I was like, "It's my cell phone." Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So it's like, like that's just a traumatic experience. I don't, you know, I don't think most people understand what it feels like to have a gun pointing at you. Yeah. And this is like busy ass streets on Fordham Road. This is Fordham Road in the Bronx between Grand Concourse and not Grand Concourse, between um between whatever, whatever. You know what I mean? Like it was, it was like, yo, fuck this. I'm gonna stay inside and draw. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, racist ass Giuliani, and then Bloomberg wasn't no better, you know? Like each law that they made, they it wasn't the benefit. Black people it was it was to lock them up because they wanted them off the they wanted people off the street. So it's like I didn't dress like 
I didn't dress like a thug or whatever. I just had like a regular pair of jeans on and whatever, but the cops don't know how to differentiate whoever. So they would just jump out on whoever. Right. And it was like, it was like, um, I can't remember the laws that they had, but if you know the laws between 95 to 2010, all those laws, that was to, that was to, that was to lock up black people. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And everywhere I went in New York, a, a cop was jumping out. I remember in one week, I had guns pointed at me like, I think like three times. And it was just cause it was just like, I, I, I'm going to keep drawing. I'm going to get better. Right. You know, I'm just going to get, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep drawing. I'm, I'm going to keep drawing, keep drawing, keep drawing, keep, keep drawing. Because it was just like, motherfuckers out to get me. Yeah. I don't know why, but, you know, but it's these racist laws that kept me in the house drawing as much as possible, painting to get better. Yeah. I mean, that's really eye-opening. Um, just considering, like... The demographic of the tattoo industry and how many of these guys are just like, you know, I just like, you know, stayed in and like I drew all the time because I wanted to get better at tattooing, but not necessarily like in fear for their life. Right. You it was know? more fear factor. It was yeah. a fear thing for me. Yeah. 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 I I never even I never even thought about it like that. Yeah, I, I lost all my friends. I like like when I when I started tat you know, when I started tattooing, I started hanging out at a tattoo shop. It was like I was hanging out at a tattoo shop, you know. I was I, because before that I was playing video games. Mm -hmm. That's another thing too. I was playing video games. So I'm I'm just inside all the time, you right? Know? I remember as I got older, it was harder to <laughs> to get money because I didn't have any work. I couldn't. I didn't have. I didn't have a job. So then, you know, like that's where the stock exchange came in. But you know, they gave me a regular nine to five job, which I hated. You know what I mean? Because it was just like I'd have to go work. And I, I, I was like. And part of me, I was like jaded. I'm, all right, folks, I'm sorry to say this. You don't think I'm jaded or fucked up, but I didn't want to work. <laughs> like, tattooing is not work for me. It's I'm playing around. I've been playing for like the last, I don't know, whatever, like 20 years. I, I just want to like, I don't want to feel like I got a little work. You know, like I think everybody in their life, they should not feel like they're going to work. As a creative, when I hear tattooers saying it's like, oh, this is work, it's like so much work. It's like, what? You know, like, my thing was, like, if I step outside, it, 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 yo, you know what? This shit happened to me last time I was here in New York. I was went to the comic book shop around the corner. The cops was, I, and, I, and I know this is how, this is how, this is, this is what dudes from New York do. We always watch our back. And we're not watching our back for motherfuckers out there to get us. It's the cops. Right. So I remember going to the comic book shop, and I went to go see what new comics came out. And the cop came in and saw me and, like, Went to talk to the guy and I asked the guy, hey, is this comic here? And then and then like I walked out. No, he walked out, the cop walked out first, went into a squad car, and then I walked, I walked around the corner back to you know how the liquor store is, right? And them motherfuckers went all the way around, like they wanted to see what I was gonna do. And I was like, oh, I see this cat and mouse game, because I've seen cops do this before. I've, this happened to me before. So I was like, I just walked right back to save. I stood up front and I waited to see. I knew they were gonna come around, and I counted in my head on the count of twenty. He's gonna come around the corner. He comes around the corner. He's looking at me, and I'm looking at him, and I do like the "fuck you, scratch my head" type thing right, like right, this, right. and I walk inside. Real subtle, like right. And, I, and then like, cause it was a cat and mouse game, you right? Know? So it's like it's still going on. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? So like, like the the racist aspect of 
that when I hear dudes talk about work, I'm like, well, what are you working towards? Like, what, what's that work you're doing? Because for me, this shit is like life or death. Right. Um, okay, so earlier, oh, I can, not earlier this year, but it was um, last fall we had uh, a panel discussion through Ink the Diaspora. And um, a lot of the questions, you know, were pretty heavy. And there was a question about cultural appropriation. And um, some of the discussion that we had was, you know, really questioning as far as, like, the demographic of people that own and practice Japanese traditional tattooing in America, Mm -hmm. Um, the ratio of people that actually identify as um, being of Japanese descent to people that do not, you know, mostly talking about white people, but um, what are your opinions on that? Basically, like, is it strange that there are more people that are white that have Japanese traditional tattoos in America than Japanese people? And is it also complicated to be giving them that tattoo? Nah. I mean, you know what? Let's say it like this. Me growing up, all I saw was people exchanging culture. Right. But when I was is, in Jamaica, it is different when it's white hey, people. Snow was one of the, the first white dudes I see do uh, uh, um, um, reggae music. Okay. You know what I'm saying? All I've grown up seeing was everybody doing everything. I, I, I'm, I'm of Jamaican descent, also African descent, and I'm doing Japanese style tattoos. I don't give a fuck if motherfuckers is mad at me. I'm taking your shit. I'm gonna do it. Jay. <laughs> I'm gonna do it. What are you gonna do? If you're gonna tell me to stop doing it, then go tell Philip Lou. Yeah. Go tell yes. Chris O'Donnell, Mike Rubendor, um, go tell fucking Joe Long, Chris Trevino, you know, Grime, go tell all these motherfuckers. You, but but my niggas ain't nobody gonna fucking do that shit. Like, like, this shit's up for fucking grabs. Sailor Jerry told these motherfuckers to do it. Do these tattoos yeah. better than the Japanese do it? Hey man, look, Japanese dudes, they do American traditional, they do tribal, mm-hmm. they do all that shit. Like it's. I but think, do you think that it is strange that there are so many white people that have Japanese traditional tattoos in America? Uh-uh. No, no, I don't. I, I never thought about it like that. I just be like, oh, you want some dope shit? Let's do some dope shit. Okay. It's not. It's 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 like. I, I can see where people. I, I I can see that shit. Like, like I can see it. Like, it don't it don't that don't bother me, man. Like, cause black people got Japanese traditional. Yeah, but back, that, black people also don't have like such a heavy um, history and world domination and genocide, raping and, and pillaging and, and shit, and, and colonization. And shit. Yes, Coloniz- literally. I mean, right, yeah, that's cool, but <laughs> but it's like I can't knock them. I, I mean. At least you got some taste. At taste. least you got some taste. taste. At least you know what's popping. Appropriated taste. But that's taste. I mean, but it's I. It's, it's a. I, I still don't have the answer for that. Okay, no, that's. I still don't have I, the answer I, for that. I, you know I, I, I appreciate I still, because, that you don't because, have the answer because, for because that. it's just like, it was white people that that it's it's a lot of white tattooers that do Japanese tattoos that I like. And I'm never. I didn't never. I never looked at it as like a white man doing. I looked at it as an artist. You got an art. Like, like, like. For me, art trumps racism. Okay. 
You know, like art is like you could be a. That's the thing too. Like another, like a lot of my favorite artists are racist. Yeah, I'm. Yeah, and and you know, you know like a, lot a lot of times of, also like, racism that's a, that's is, what's is burning me art. right now. The lot of the dudes that I look up to, I've come to find out is racist. Yeah, yeah. And I can't help, but but it's like. But I think it's, of, it's also about the mindset that they could do it better, and that is also racist. But I feel like I could do it better. Yeah, I mean, but but that's different. It's rooted in a very different history. Because we're of a lower in 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 people's eyes, we're in a lower class. No, not it's not about lower class, but it's it's about like what is inherent in your culture, right? Right. Like what right. is inherent in our culture is like you know mark making patterns. Um, you know, branding, like... Uh, in, in black culture? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we started tattooing. Yeah, no, yeah, we started tattooing. That's what I'm saying. It's like embedded in us. Um, but for other people that um, are not as highly melanated as us, right? it's a very different thing where you are, you know, traveling the world and you're, like, taking in a lot of other people's cultures that, you know, you you see and you're like I could do that and I can make money doing that that's what kills and I know a lot of people that look like me that would want me to do that on their body I mean I can't I can't I'm not gonna point it's, it's too much well it's it's also rooted in capitalism yeah I mean I mean you know like I mean Eminem must feel sh like shit because he just did what everybody talked about. Mm -hmm. It was like, of course you're gonna sell more albums. You white. Yeah, that's how it works. It, it, the thing about it like this, it's black people and white people supporting him. For right. black people, it's mainly it's white people and black people, but it's mainly black people and then the shorter number of white people supporting a black artist. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, I'm surprised Jay-Z's big as the, the way he is. Uh, I I agree. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yes. But why why Pusha T's not as uh, as high as Jay? Um, because he's a misogynist and he exploits Whitney Houston even after she's dead. You know, everybody's done it. Um, okay, so oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. let's go back. Let's, I mean, think about that. Think about that. Like it's just it's appropriation. Appropriation is like you get the thing is like as uh, appropriation is going to be harder. <laughs> White, white people are going to be hearing about appropriation for a long time because technology is getting out there more and more and more. We're going to be hearing about this. We're going to be talking about this for a very, very long time. Well, they've been, yeah, they've been performing cultural you know I mean? appropriation like, for the entirety like of their... What's, what's, changed, what's changed life now, just Twitter alone. Twitter has give, given... I never thought this was going to fucking happen. I'm before the internet. You know, I'm literally before the internet. I'm before selfies. I can't. I don't, I don't understand the selfie to this day. I can't do it. It fucking weirds me out. Can't but find your angle. Can't find my angle. I, I've done it. I'm like <laughs> at all them angles. You know what I mean? Right. So I don't. Appropriation is just. It, oh man, y'all fucked up. You gotta deal with it. You gotta live with it. You have to live with it. And you know, speaking of that, I'm so glad that you're here at this specific time where. Um, you know, 2020 is starting off with a bang. Um, Oliver, super nigga peck. Oh, man. <laughs> um, you know, recently got exposed for not only, um, being a rape apologist, um, and bashing women, but also being caught 
um, in blackface on multiple occasions. And, um, you know, it's it's really cool that the Internet exists right now. And and there's all these social media platforms where people can share things. And, you know, I give a lot of props to a lot of the female tattoo artists in the black tattoo artist community for, you know, just sharing it so often and getting it out there to the point where, you know, he did get let go from Ink Master. And, um, you know, it's just being put on blast. And, you know, I'm I'm definitely down with fucking up a bag um, for somebody who, you know, has continued to violate people. Shit's on the culture. For years. Yeah, yeah, shit's on the culture. Um, but so now that we are coming into a new decade, can you talk about ways that you would like to see the tattoo industry change? Um, how do I like to see it change? I mean... All right, I mean, all right, yeah, there's there's a very heavy white aspect. There's a, that's an aspect, there's a culture. I mean, like, I think the tattoo community as a whole needs to um, talk to each other. Not just like, because there's so many, you know, the thing about tattooing, there's so many pockets, there's so many communities, right? You got the heavy black, Guy, you got the heavy. So you, there's a heavy black culture. Then there's the stipple culture. Mm-hmm. Then there's the hand pole culture. Mm-hmm. Then there's the Americana culture. Mm-hmm. Right? Then there's the Japanese culture. And then each of these cultures, majority of the motherfuckers don't even like each other. Right. And there's like these subgroups of each culture, right? And like, because that's how it is. It's like, it's kind of like a virus. You know what I mean? There's one and then multiplies and it just keeps going and it keeps going and they each grow. You know what I mean? Um, and and each of these cultures have their own ignorance. Mm-hmm. Right? And that's what fucked that's what fucked Oliver up. Because he didn't a guy like him didn't he's not he's not thinking like a futurist. A positive futurist. He's only thinking like was what his grandfather told him. And mm-hmm. his grandfather's only thinking like what his Grandfather told him. Yeah. Right? So I think everybody has to like question what they were told, what they were taught. I think everybody. What you learn in your life is a part of a matrix that was wrong. Like kinda like that's what the matrix is. Matrix is a it's a it's an environment that an organism lives in. Right? And something that organism learn. Was it the right thing to do, or did it just jump headlong into it and just do it anyway? And it wasn't that 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 organism wasn't really thinking two hundred years, three hundred years ahead. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, so everybody has to like question what they learn and unlearn it to learn something new. I'm not gonna try to force feed any of that shit. I'm not gonna tell nobody to to, to need them to do this, this, and this. Like. He felt like he was a funny dude. Mm-hmm. He felt like, oh, I'm gonna put this this chocolate face on, and 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 you know, his his ex wife at the time was the one taking the pictures. The right. tall chick, cat. Right. She was the one taking the pictures, you know. But she's not thinking. They're not thinking in a broad perspective. They, they. I think that's what people need to do: think in a broad perspective, and and not get caught up in the moment. You know, mm-hmm. what saved my life was I didn't listen to my mom. If I, if I if I listened to my mom, I'd be 
working for UPS. Yeah, that's real. That is so real. I don't know what it is about like parents in general that that just want you to um, like do what is most reliable and closest to you. Reliable don't work. It doesn't work. It well, reliable doesn't get you into the history books. Reliable doesn't make a legacy. Right. All right, so that's going to wrap up today's episode of Mad Pain with Andre Malcolm. Um, There were some things that I learned about Andre that I had no idea about before. Like, you know, I didn't know that he grew up in both Jamaica and in the Bronx. And I also didn't know that he grew up Jehovah's Witness. And listening to how that influenced the way that he builds his compositions today was really interesting. Um, We also heard a little bit about his stances on cultural appropriation, which, you know, is a big topic in the tattoo industry. You know, and not that I'm condemning all of it. I just think that it's strange that in America there are so many white people with Japanese traditional tattoos um, in comparison to people of actual Japanese descent. And some people can argue that it's cultural appreciation and not appropriation. But, you know, in terms of like another analogy, you know, anytime that I wear my hair in braids, white women love it, right? They appreciate it. Um, But if all of a sudden there were more white women wearing box braids than black women in America, it'd be fucking crazy. And that's how and that's how I'm looking at it. We know cultural appropriation to be, you know, when members of dominant and majority cultures come in and appropriate from more disadvantaged and minority cultures. Um, Ultimately, this is a form of colonization. This can be in regards to, uh, you know, religious or cultural traditions, um, fashion, symbols, language, music, the works. And I think what it comes down to for me is privilege and punishment. Like, you know, some people are walking around with full bodysuits and, you know, no one is assuming that you are affiliated. And you know what I mean by affiliated. Um, Talking about like very real, like Japanese gang culture. Um, If you are walking around, like if you're a white girl walking around with box braids, like no one is telling you that your hairstyles are inappropriate for the workplace. I think that it is unfair to... Um, be walking around and operating in the world without facing any of the punishments that the people that, you know, come from these cultures and communities experience. But then, you know, it gets really complicated because we're talking about art, right? So art is all about um, sharing and collaboration and blending um, and also evolution, you know, like sometimes styles evolve. and, And what does that mean? And, you know, as artists and as tattoo artists, this is embedded in the way that we work, fully acknowledging that, you know, as tattoo artists, we have to make um, a living. But what are the sacrifices to cultural preservation that we make when we're giving out these tattoos to clients that, you know, don't have the same level of investment in, in it as we do? Yes, as a tattooer, you've put in the time You've done the research. You might have even gone to that particular place and spent a lot of time there um, and spent a lot of time in that community. But, you know, what types of standards are we holding our clients to uphold that, if any? So I'm asking you as a tattooer, how much investment do you require from, 
you know, a client that is requesting a tattoo that belongs to a community or culture that they do not identify with. And are you the most appropriate person to be giving that tattoo? You know, that gets really deep too. Like, uh, do you identify as someone who is uh, culturally aligned with colonization? Or are you someone that is typically uh, oppressed? Are you a marginalized individual? And then the last question, you know, do you do you even care? Like, maybe it's just about making money for you. And I mean, to each his own, but you do have to consider ways that capitalism, you know, contributes to the dilution of the original um, purpose and practice of tattooing. I'm actually not exempt either. Like, I am very invested in body modification practice and you know, as I'm getting older, I just, I want to get into it more. And I want to, at some point, you know, start to explore scarification. And as a Black American um, that is of the African diaspora, I am, you know, having identity issues with that. Like, what does it mean for me to participate in a practice that is, that is so far removed from, you know, what the Black experience is today? So, you know, as I am gaining interest in scarification and branding, you know, is that going to take me having to go and visit different countries in Africa and really, um, you know, embed myself into these communities and really figure out what it means to be a part of a tribal practice? Um, yes, I, I'm down for that. I will absolutely do that. And, you know, I just ask if you're willing to do the same thing or maybe you have already. Um, so, yeah, like at the same time that I am questioning your investment and your client's investment, I'm, I'm questioning my investment, too. These are just all things to be thinking about. Um, so, yes, I encourage you to ask yourself these questions, um, share them with your colleagues, figure out where you guys agree and disagree. And, you know, it's it's probably going to get a little heated, but it's all good. And, um, you know, join us next week where we will be continuing our conversation with Andre Malcolm, getting into some whole other shit. I low-key hate this shit. <laughs>